0: This morning we are continuing our series of studies in the New Testament Epistle of James. So if you have your Bible this morning, let's turn please to James chapter 5 as we read together verses 5 through 12 excuse me, 7 through 12, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And you will see from the subheading on page 1885 of the church Bible that it's entitled, Patience in Suffering. For those watching on our live stream broadcast, if we here at church, pause and pray. Feel free at home to pause and pray. As we sing on Sunday mornings, you feel free to follow the words on the screen and worship as well. And likewise, when it comes to Scripture, have a Bible ready, open up, and follow with us as we seek to take God's Word and apply it to our lives week by week. So James chapter 5 at verse 7. And James writes, be patient, my brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear." not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, or you will be condemned. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us the reading of His holy word. We have, as most of you know, been steadily working our way through the epistle of James, and we are coming almost towards the end of our studies in James. And this morning, as we come to this middle section of chapter 5, the main themes from James are patience amid suffering and perseverance when you don't feel like persevering. A couple of weeks ago, I was coming out of cardiac care in the gymnasium section, and as I'm leaving the gym, there was a notice on the glass door, and the notice said this. It said, attention, members, chair massages this Saturday, March 11th, 10 a.m. to 11.30. $10 for 10 minutes, see front desk for payment and scheduling. And as soon as I read that, I called one of the young physiotherapists to the door, and I said, now, have a read at that, and I have to tell you, I'm not sure that Saturday morning will be the success you're hoping it will be. And she kind of looked at me as if to say, Richard, what on earth are you talking about? And I said, well, from my perspective, I live eight and a half, nine miles away. On a Saturday morning, I am not going to get the chair out of my living room, put it into the car, bring it to the facilities, and have you massage it for 10 minutes, and then charge me $10 for doing so. And like you, she smiled and rolled her eyes and said, okay. And then she said, that's not what it means. And of course, she's right. But what we say and what we mean are not always the same thing. Yet what we have discovered in reading the epistle of James and slowing down long enough to immerse ourselves in it from the middle of January through to the end of March, what we've been able to say is this, James means exactly what he says. In fact, how many Sundays have we said that New Testament scholars tell us that the epistle of James is characterized by its hard-hitting practicality as it brings timeless truths into our everyday lives. And that's exactly where James is going this morning. Once again, he is being very practical, he is being hard-hitting, he is being challenging, and he is challenging his readers to be growing and maturing in their faith. Hence, we've entitled this series, Designed for Growth. Now, we know that the epistle of James is what we would call a general epistle. In other words, it wasn't written to First and Second Corinthians, and we made that point in mid-January when we started. And we also said neither was it written to an individual, to Timothy or Titus or Philemon. And so general epistles are written to the wider Christian population to say, let me encourage you as you take these biblical principles, learn them, and then apply them, these timeless truths, to your everyday life. And that's exactly what we've seen in James. And that, in fact, is where he is taking us this morning. We've also said that James can take just under eight minutes to read the entire epistle, from the first word to the last. But it's worth slowing down long enough, a little like looking at an antique and appreciating the craftsmanship and its age and its value and significance, and we've done exactly that with James. In fact, on that first Sunday together, you'll remember I mentioned the movie actor Denzel Washington. And in 2017, if you remember back to that first Sunday together, I said that Denzel had Denzel, as if I know him, I have no connection with Denzel Washington at all, in his uh, commencement address. This is what he said. He said, dreams without goals are just dreams. Fulfill your goals to fulfill your dreams. Make your goals achievable. Achievable. The gap between goals and achievements is determined by discipline and consistency. So let me ask you this morning, before we go any further and before we begin to immerse ourselves in James, how much have you grown in your faith during January and February and March this year? Over the last few weeks, as we've opened up James, studied it together, been challenged by James, been encouraged by him, being equipped by him, are you closer to Christ today than when we started some nine or ten weeks ago? Is your prayer life a time each day when you can't wait to enter his presence in prayer? Do you have him at the center of your decision-making process? Is He shaping and refining your thought pattern and your daily behavior amidst the distractions and demands of daily life? Is He at the heart of who you are? Does your relationship with Him define who you are, impact all that you do? That's exactly what James has been calling us. Have you set yourself small goals over these last few weeks? But I wonder, have you dared to pray, Father, make me Christ-like in my marriage, Christ-like in my relationship with my family and friends. Refine me Grant to me a holiness and a purity and a desire to be more like you day by day by day. Help me to tackle those tough and difficult areas in my life, the areas that I wrestle with. Father, may your word be practical, hard hitting to me. Change my thought processes challenge my moral and spiritual standards and values, and enable me to walk with you. Is that where you've been?" As we come to this middle section, here is James calling for patience in suffering. And you may well be saying, Richard, hold on a second, patience in suffering? Richard, is that all you have for me this morning? Patience in suffering? Richard, I know that's the kind of thing a pastor should say on a Sunday morning. But really, that's all you have? That age old cliche? Richard, what on earth am I supposed to do when my four year old grandson is in the oncology ward and the prognosis is not good? Patience in suffering, is that it? You may be saying, Richard, my husband of 55 years and more a year ago began to show signs of mental confusion. He's now in a care facility. He doesn't recognize me, he doesn't recognize her children and her grandchildren, and this has been the toughest. 12 months of my life, and all you are giving me this morning is patience. It will be okay. Every cloud has a silver lining. Hang on in there. Is that it? Is that all you have to offer? Or you may be saying, Richard, I'm in the middle of a nasty divorce, and a person who once promised to love me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, is painting me in color so dark and nasty, I don't recognize myself. My reputation has been shredded and thrown in the gutter, and all you can come up with is patience and suffering. Is that it? Is that all you have this morning? Well, let me go a step further and suggest this. Please remember who James is writing to. Each time we come to a passage in Scripture, we have to remember its context. And James is writing to a group of people who have just undergone persecution at the center of Jerusalem. And here was a group of people in those early days had suddenly discovered for themselves the joy and thrill as the love and grace of God began to impact their lives. And for some of them, that meant an absolute transformation, life-changing they were altered in every way. Suddenly, they discovered a God who had been distant, that they knew vaguely when they attended the temple or in the synagogue, suddenly became real. He'd broken into their hearts. He had changed them. He'd drawn them into a deep, abiding relationship with Himself. Now, they had intimacy with Him. Now, He answered their prayers. Now, they felt His overwhelming peace and the transforming, indwelling power of God the Holy Spirit. And they could never be the same. And the joy and the thrill of the Christian life was daily routine for them. And as they began to grow emotionally, spiritually, as they began to grow in numbers, it threatened the religious establishment of its day. And so persecution came. And that persecution was bad. People were being arrested and tortured and put to death. And they fled Jerusalem for the other regions and cities and provinces round about. Sometimes as far north as Syria. Today we know it as Asia Minor. Now imagine what that is like. When in the middle of the night you have to gather your children together. All the belongings you can carry and flee your family home, leaving behind friends, community, place of work, the children's friends, everything that was familiar, everything that was known to you, and suddenly, through no fault of your own, life is absolutely at its lowest point. And you can imagine these families walking towards Syria and Antioch and the other regions and cities some west to Egypt. And they are asking, where is God in the midst of this? Did He not promise He would look after us? Did He not promise He would protect us? Did He not promise to surround us with His love? And now all of this is a result? And that's why James, in writing, is once again practical and hard hitting because he's saying to them, Look at your circumstance, but please remember this be patient in suffering, persevere, keep going. It will not last forever. And that's why he's writing the way he's writing. They are full of fears, full of questions, full of anxious thoughts and uncertainties. But James is saying this, he still has you in the palm of his hands. He's right there with you. And why can James write in these terms? Because not only do we remember who he was writing to, we remember who he was. The brother of Christ, raised in the same household, was skeptical and cynical of his brother's ministry, although he watched him conduct miracles in a multiplicity of contexts. He watched lives transformed and changed. He'd listened to him for the last three and a half years, and by the time he writes this epistle, subsequently many more years— And James is saying this, when my brother was arrested and tried and tortured and executed, boy, did I have questions. I wanted to ask God, where are you now? Where were you at Calvary? Couldn't you protect him? Couldn't you look after him? Christ of all people, and you sat back and did nothing. And then Easter came. And when James is talking about perseverance, when he is talking about patience, when he is talking about keep going when you are fearful, anxious, uncertain, he knows a little about what he's talking about. And that's why he can write from personal experience right here. That's why in verse 8 and verse 10, he says, be patient in suffering. Stand firm. And please also note, he says, be patient, my brothers. Eighteen times in this brief epistle, he uses that phrase, brothers, my brothers. I told you on that first Sunday morning as we studied the passage together, the word he uses is adelphos. And the literal translation means from the same womb. He's identifying with his readers. There's a very genuine sense that James is writing out of love and affection. He is empathizing with them, sensing their pain and their concern, and he's pouring his heart out, and he's saying, My brothers, those whom I love the most, show patience. Develop perseverance. He's not writing in a cold, indifferent, distant fashion. In fact, it's the very opposite. He's demonstrating empathy and care. He's seeking to encourage them. Senses all that they're going through. And I suspect if James was delivering this message this morning, he would be saying this. There are moments in our lives... That spiral out of control, and we have no control over those moments. But the one thing we do have control over is this how we respond to the fear and uncertainty and the questions, and those deep, troubling, anxious thoughts that wake us up in the middle of the night, the first thing we think of in the morning when we awake. And James is saying, you can control how you respond to the fear and uncertainty and the questions. And he says, the best way to respond is be patient, prayerfully, carefully, persevere, dig deep, hold on. He is not finished with you yet. And notice what else James says. Verse 9, he says, verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He then adds, don't grumble against each other. Because James knows that when your back is up against a wall and you're hurting and uncertain and fearful, not only do you begin to focus on the circumstances and challenges that lie before you, you also begin to focus on those who are closest to you and begin to grumble against them and begin to complain against them as if they could do something about it. And so, James is reminding us, those you are closest to, don't take it out on them. But persevere. Dig deep. Keep going. Now, you may be here this morning or watching on the live stream broadcast and saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But Richard, for me, it's not a husband or wife struggling with dementia. It's not a grandchild with pancreatic cancer. Richard, for me, it's a little simpler. For me, I was given the possibility of a job interview and a significant career change. And I felt the hand of God was in it. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, believing that He was right there. I put Him front and center in all of my decision-making. Or perhaps for you, it's another set of struggles. Perhaps for you, engaged to be married, your whole future laid out in front of you, deeply in love with this other person, and then, almost out of the blue, the relationship began to drift, become cool, and the engagement was broken off. And you're devastated, uncertain about the future, fearful, tearful, heartbroken. What then? How do you respond then? Or maybe you're saying, Richard, I've never told anyone this before, but my husband and I have been trying for a family. I recently had a miscarriage and told no one, and all we did was weep. Richard, what do I do now? Well, allow me to say this, that God often uses the circumstances in our lives to refine us and mold us and make us more Christ-like. He enables us to persevere beyond we ever th- what we ever thought we could. He grants to us patience, and in so doing, He strengthens us, and He creates within us a strength we never knew we had. Many years ago, almost 20 years ago now, I came across the following. I think we could describe it as a poem, and I shared it with you in the past, but it's been a long time, so let me share it again. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, that all the world might be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways." how he ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects, how he hammers and hurts them, and with mighty blows converts them into trial shapes of clay that only God understands while their saddened hearts are crying, and they lift beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when their good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and with mighty acts induces them to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, Watch His methods. Watch His ways. In refining and molding and shaping us, rarely is God focused on the circumstances or the challenges. And how we've learned that from James week after week. More importantly, He's focused on you Does he care about what we're going through? Of course he cares. Of course he's right there with you. But he's more interested in you, who you are becoming, how you are developing, how you are growing in discipleship, how you are growing in prayer, how you are wrestling in the darkness and growing and maturing and becoming more Christ-like and stronger and more faithful every day, modeling for others genuine faith. That's what James is talking about here as he refines you and cleanses you and grants to you a deep abiding desire for holiness and purity to clean up your moral life to go to the next level spiritually speaking in holiness and obedience and James knows that takes time in fact, he says in verse 7: he says, See how farmers wait for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn spring rains. That's the image that James is giving of God when he's working with us, looking forward to harvesting a crop of righteousness and patience and love and grace. Remember when I mentioned earlier in the message this morning of Denzel Washington who said, your dreams can never be fulfilled unless you set goals. Have you dared to pray, Father, let my number one goal in this spring season be more Christ-like in every aspect of my life? Because when you are there, when you have an appetite for developing your relationship with Him, when you are determined to move to the next level, please remember this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, watch His methods, watch His ways. And there is nothing more exciting more significant, long-term, than that deep, abiding relationship with Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. Father, thank You that Sunday by Sunday, as we open up Your Word, it speaks into our lives. Enable us, please, in the week ahead to sense Your presence, Your enabling grace, and help us, please, to dare to pray, Father, enable us to be more like Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.